Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson, Chief Investment Officer at the Bonson Group. And I think we have kind of a special little ditty here this week. Not so much special because there's a great guest. Uh, Not so much special because I think the content is kind of out of the ordinary good, although I'm excited for what I have to say today. But it's certainly special in the sense of the kind of market environment that we've been in. You're talking about a couple of historical things that have happened since since we came to you last and that is on Thursday, Friday of last week, the market dropped 1,200 points in two days. Last week, for the whole calendar week, it represented the worst week the market has had in over two years. And then on Monday of this week, March 26, Dow increased almost 700 points. And that represented, uh, well, I mean, the biggest point move higher in the market in 10 years but it also was the third highest day uh, move, move higher in, in the history of the market. So, so certainly a lot of pretty uh, big things going on. And, and I think it kind of begs the question, and it, it leads to a conclusion space that I'm going to go to here with our podcast, just in terms of the kind of actionable things that we're recommending around it. But let's start with just sort of what the fundamentals as to what's going on. Um, you you do have not just a kind of renormalization of volatility, but this is certainly um, a more excessive level of volatility than even the kind of normalization would would entail. You could argue we're making up for lost time because there was such a dramatic suppression of volatility for uh, 2017 and and even you know you know much of the late part of 2016. But the reality is, is that, you know, 1200 point moves in two days and 700 point moves in one day. And, you know, early February, we saw a lot of these 500 to 1000 point days a couple of times while over 1000 points. So as much as I would beat the drum for volatility being the norm and and no volatility being the abnormal uh, reality, this is above and beyond even kind of normal levels. And, and it sort of begs the question, why? I mean, is there a lot of fear right now that there's some fundamental problems deteriorating in the marketplace? And, and because the, the answer to that is no, there is not that fear. There is not um, at this point a, a tremendous uh, change in the health of the economy and the health of the market investing environment. It does lead one to say, well, what's the cause then of this higher price volatility? And, and, and I want to explain that. Um, for, first and foremost, I mean, the, the story around the markets that's been pushing markets higher for quite some time and that we believe is kind of still the buying thesis now centers around incredible earnings growth. You have an overall very healthy economy that's about to be uh, the beneficiary of, of all the first order and second and third order benefits of corporate tax reform. And then you combine that with the uh, global growth that we are seeing all over the planet, um, and you combine that with essentially this sort of renewed vigor in the United States in terms of business confidence, small business optimism, um, what we believe has led to and will continue leading to greater 
capital goods orders, capital expenditures, business investment, industrial production. These things are all stimulative. These things are all evidence of activity. These things are, are profit creating and, and healthy. Okay. So you say, well, then what's the problem? I mean, that's what markets want and it is. However, there is a skittishness that comes when certain things get kind of taken away. And, and one of those things is most certainly the, the, um, Federal Reserve backstop, if you will, this kind of assurance the market had that, look, you know, things are going to be going up and down. But I mean, the Fed is right there standing over things to just make sure that everyone is feeling feeling good. And and I think that the Fed still I mean, obviously, there's a negative real rate in the Fed funds rate, meaning after inflation, the interest rate in the economy is still negative in the short term. Uh, but look, they are slowly but surely raising rates and they're slowly but surely um, decreasing their uh, balance sheet. They're allowing the amount of liquidity that they have kind of sloshed into the system to come down a little. And so you, you have to call that normalization. You could call it very, very slow tightening. Um, but it is the point being it's the different direction than they had been in for quite some time. And I think the markets are kind of having to respond to that. And, and so when that is taking place at the same time, the, the president of the United States is out flexing and posturing and, and putting his chest out regarding protective tariffs, the market um, doesn't necessarily believe, it certainly doesn't want to believe that we're going to go into a full-blown trade war but it becomes impossible to keep that same degree of open, uh, full-fledged optimism that corporate tax reform and deregulation and, and other bullish things help create. So that environment of earnings growth is still there. Now, it isn't as violent of a move higher in terms of acceleration of earnings growth that we saw throughout 2017, but the the uh source of optimism in terms of growth and earnings um both economic growth and profits growth is is still the in play and 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 getting even better um however the difference is that the kind of context in which it's happening um right now has to be repriced around federal reserve the reality of higher interest rates the kind of disputes or conversations or controversies or concerns about the inflation versus deflation push pull, what exactly the environment is that we're in that we have to kind of prepare for in a macroeconomic sense, and then you you tap onto that, um, and this becomes kind of the major issue. This posturing around trade last week, announcing that we intended to put sixty billion dollars of tariffs on China. They came back with only a few billion dollars of retaliatory tariffs. But remember, there's about 180 billion uh, that we export into China a year. And the, I think that the market said, okay, this is bad enough with just a couple billion, but what if this thing escalates? And then over the weekend, you had Treasury Secretary Mnuchin kind of indicating, no, 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 we're not really planning to escalate it. We want to see just kind of a conversation take place with China and Cooler heads prevail, and and we think that we're gonna, you know, get get negotiate, uh, use this to our advantage a little, and then the markets responded uh, with a big up move on Monday. So, I I think that 
that there is um, kind of a realization on on the good days that the market is saying, look, we, we don't really think they're going to go through with this stuff. They're practically telling us they're not. Uh, they want to try to, you know, bang the table to get a better deal. And I don't even know if it's necessarily a better deal, but the appearance of a better deal, some kind of political victory, optical victory, cosmetic victory, if you will, um, which may very well happen. Uh, but I don't think the market cares that there's some kind of an aesthetic victory around trade uh, as long as there's not a substantive issue where it's going to, frankly, suppress um, global trade. I, I, I think that the the third order and fourth order effects of that could be really dangerous. And even if this is, comes back to the volatility concept, even if they're not uh, going to go into a danger, subst- substantively dangerous zone, the fear of it, the uncertainty of it, uncertainty is a great word here, is by definition volatility inducing. And so if you kind of accept that the backdrop for some time is going to be A, positive around earnings and fundamentals, but B, threatened by uh, the kind of uncertainty of monetary accommodation coming off and Trumpian protectionist trade tariff drama, that the, that you so you have a positive environment that gets wrapped with some uncertain wrapping paper of these things, then you say what is the right investing environment? And of course, you know from an equity standpoint, traditional long only, you know great dividend stock type names, which is what we buy. Um, you, you as long as you can kind of hammer through the volatility of it. You're going to come out, I think, very strong. If you're reinvesting dividends, the volatility continues. You probably get to buy more shares at even lower prices. You certainly get to buy positions that are right now. There's many stocks we own that I think are deeply undervalued on a fundamental basis. And you get your your foot in for that kind of growth of the dividends, which is the major reason we want to buy these things. So we like all that. But then on the other side of it, you say, what do you do to smooth that volatility? You know, you may end up losing some of your diversification between stocks and bonds because very likely they will trade down together if indeed you get a big inflationary fear, um, interest rates popping higher. That would likely hurt stocks and bonds at the same time. And and so you you really, I think, have to look at the alternative asset class as the greatest source of neutering some of that uh, more excessive market volatility um, and hopefully generating a positive return, even in a more difficult or flattish market environment. Um, now, of course, nothing's guaranteed. I, you're, you're, not, you're not getting rid of risk by going into alternatives. You're changing the risk. You're changing the risk from the high beta of what the stock market's doing or the high beta of the fixed income bond markets that are very correlated to interest rates, and you're replacing that risk with the kind of manager risk, um, the human talent risk, how do, how do people perform around more idiosyncratic strategies that are just highly non-correlated to stocks and bonds. So the reason why a lot of our ultra high net worth and, and high net worth clientele have such meaningful uh, weightings in the alternative asset class is they're willing to take withstand the risk 
of of manager selection of of execution um but they would like something that neuters that volatility that that your regular stock and bond investments may hold but see i don't really necessarily want to just make this a pitch for alternatives in general that that is kind of the story as to how we use alternatives is the least potential pursuit of a uh, positive return and an absolute return environment, uh, even when there's maybe more strain in in the broad market. And so, look, we with alternatives, we have the risk of being down when the market is up. Um, we hope that doesn't happen, but it certainly could because the lower the correlation of the market, the less it matters that the market is up. And that's what we're after is that low correlation. But the um, flip side of that is that when the market's down, you have that potential for being being higher. And, and even if not being higher, for being much better off than the markets. So I look at our alternative positioning and how it helped to neuter volatility in the real dog days that have taken place in the last seven weeks, uh, February and March. And I'm very, very pleased. And frankly, we even have certain strategies and uh, positive returns and most definitely the vast majority serving to really neuter the volatility of stocks and bonds. And and I think that this theme around higher degree of alternatives as a means of mitigating equity market volatility is a theme that will be with us for quite some time. Um, we are believers in the alpha that our hedge funds and alternative strategies can create. By alpha, I mean that excess return over market levels and, but see, we're also very optimistic about the role that these strategies can play in reducing portfolio volatility. And we want a smoother ride for clients, but we want to do it in the context of explaining what it means and doesn't mean. Um, the, the lower volatility is, is not just a kind of magic potion where we say, look, you know, we'll get you all what the market's getting, and yet you won't have to have the kind of hiccup and so forth. The truth of the matter is, is that to get the returns, let alone with the risk adjusted component to them that we are aspiring for here, it means being outside the conventions of the normal market. And so people ask me a lot, well, what does that mean? What are the things they're actually kind of doing? A significant amount of our alternative exposure centers around what we would call relative value arbitrage. So, so the the um, relative value arbitrage takes very smart operators. It takes a significant amount of study, but it doesn't require markets going higher. It just requires um, uh, astuteness around the way one understands different positions and the way assets should be relating to one another and taking advantage of mispricing to generate a positive return for investors. Um, however... I would say that there are plenty of other things happening in the alternative space that should be uh, cash flow generative. Um, you have various commodity strategies, um, long and short, that may be uh, outside of overall equity exposure. There is a lot that is being done in the credit space. You, you know, different opportunities up and down the capital structure of companies, senior loans, bank loans, down into various tranches of debt the companies have and smart hedge fund operators being able to take positions, again, potentially long or short, and different aspects of the capital stack of a company and, and trying to generate a return for clients in that way. 
uh, again, with a pretty agnostic view to what the overall stock market may be doing around that. Um, a lot of hedge funds have the ability to use modest amounts of leverage that could enhance certain returns. There's kind of that persistent carry trade people are, are trying to get where they find something that they can borrow at a low cost and then something that they can buy at a decent return with the borrowed funds and, and get collect a spread or a little juiced return. None of this is risk-free. None of this should be discounted. Uh, the risk should be discounted, always should be respected, but we should understand that that both risk and reward paradigm um, would exist outside of the risks and rewards investors have in the regular um, investing paradigm of stocks and bonds. The hedge fund strategies that we use, the Bonson Group, I'm not going to get into specific names right now. There's kind of regulatory reasons around that I want to respect. Um, but what it ha all has in common, all of our uh, alternative investing has in common, is an extraordinary level of due diligence, an extraordinary respect for the need to know the culture, the investing acumen, the risk management of the various alternative partners that we work with. Um, I am uh, absolutely categorically against investing money with managers that I do not know. We have to sit down with them face to face. It's a big part of the significant, a big part of the reason for the significant amount of time I spend in New York City is that I am doing this due diligence, being in front of the managers that we work with to understand the strategy and generate confidence in what they're doing. Um, I do believe you want significant uh, organizational stability. You, you don't want fly-by-night operators. You don't want guys that had a big year, but they don't have a real big track record beyond that. You want people that have uh, both with personnel and with internal controls and with an investment philosophy, a certain degree of stability and repeatability um, that makes sense. So the alternative space is not one where all of a sudden you can be cavalier or ignore the different principles you would have in any other aspect. So yes, we definitely um, take seriously the pursuit of high quality, best of breed alternative managers. There are some that are more liquid and others that are less liquid and we can kind of make the selections we make for different clients uh, based around a total liquidity profile. And that's why uh, a lot of clients are just different in that regard. Um, we, we also will look into the real estate space, either directly held real estate um, through different operators, people buying distressed, people buying, you know, maybe diversified uh, asset classes. Um, one of the real estate strategies we've become very fond of is looking to actually generate cash flow and only use a very modest amount of leverage. Um, but is is being very tactical and opportunistic and and has a long term horizon on how long they may hold different properties. So we we definitely believe that for an investor saying, look, I don't feel great about piling money into the bond market um, just because of the low interest rate environment and the fear of rates going a little higher. And we're fine with our core positions around our dividend stock portfolio and the, the kind of um, long-term philosophy that exists around that aspect of one's portfolio, whether they be an income-oriented investor or just an accumulator of more value. 
But to the extent that an investor in one of these buckets also just is a bit wary of the high degree of volatility, then, yeah, I believe alternatives make a lot of sense to help smooth some of those rides and generate an absolute return around the way, or at least pursue that absolute return subject to the risk of how their own manager may perform, which is ultimately our job to do the due diligence on the managers and pick strategies and personnel that in in a, a reasonable time period are able to perform and generate a positive return for clients. Okay, so so the big takeaway here is to kind of understand what's generating the volatility, what it means and what it doesn't mean. Um, and then uh, from an application standpoint, we still want to see people have the appropriate degree of stock and bond exposure. Um, we're completely, totally comfortable with our present weightings uh, how, in those two asset classes. However, if uh, one is just simply content with their stock and, and, and bond positions, but wants to see overall portfolio volatility come down, um, or at least the reasons for portfolio volatility come down, meaning they don't want to you know, add more into that uh, somewhat skittish space that is U.S. equities, uh, U.S. stocks, then we like the idea of coming into alternatives, finding potentially relative value uh, arbitrage, finding potentially uh, credit hedge funds, those that are able to manipulate around the distressed debt aspect, um, commodity, real estate, um, these types of, you know, we still like event driven. We still like um, long and short uh, equity, but those are still going to have a little bit more broader stock market risk. Um, ultimately, we really like the idea of finding alternative strategies that just have a much uh, lower beta and and higher pursuit of alpha. And, and we think we do a great job of finding those opportunities at the Bonson Group. So uh, please reach out at any time, more questions. We can do a much deeper dive about hedge fund investing um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So your, your emails will help facilitate that. Uh, reach out, any questions you may have, and, and please do uh, subscribe to Advice and Insights. Please do uh, share it with folks. We really want to build up the traffic here, get some reviews posted on iTunes, things like that. And, and uh, then at the end of this week and every other week, listen to Dividend Cafe. Um, our Dividend Cafe podcast is much shorter, much more succinct, much simpler. And then our writing um, along the same lines at DividendCafe.com is really intended to be a kind of staple offering for, for clients of ours, um, helping them understand what it is we're thinking, what our philosophy about managing client capital is. So thanks for listening to Vice and Insights. We hope you got something out of this and we certainly welcome you reaching out. Take care. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. 
All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.